We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike is headed back home after a very successful 3-2 and Lakers road trip that started out with a lot less optimism than it's ending with. The uh, Lakers got a good wire-to-wire win in Charlotte, kind of limped toward the finish line. Russ did not play in the second half. LeBron scored 40 again. Thomas Bryant got us another 15-rebound game and was our second-leading scorer again. Lakers played a a good game. They they out-rebounded the Charlotte Hornets, which the Hornets really hurt them on when the Hornets beat them in Los Angeles. Darius, a a successful road trip, again, after starting a little bit perilously. Give me your thoughts both on this game, but also just kind of these last five games. I feel like this ends the formidable December. I know this game was technically in January, but when we would always go over the schedule for this season, we would look at it and be like, December's tough. You got these two big road trips that Billy Mack was commenting on. Like, I felt like we've been on the road the whole month of December and they sort of have. And so this game was in January, but this wrapped up that kind of stretch of the season. Yeah, those two, so a six-game trip to start the month, right? And then this five-game trip to end the month and then wrap through the new year. A lot of road games, man. And it's funny because they go home for a couple of games and they're back on the road, but they're like West Coast road games. And then they're at home a lot. And so maybe we'll talk more schedule in the second half of the pod. But first, let's talk about the Charlotte game. Mike talked about this um, both on yesterday's pod in sort of the lead up to previewing the game a little bit. And then he mentioned it in his media availability with Darwin, asking him a quick question in pregame availability. And then he talked about it on TV. And so Mike clearly had a good feel for sort of the general energy and spirit of the team coming out of the Atlanta game and then going into the Charlotte game and it not being the typical end of the road trip dregs of like, Mm. oh, we've been on the road. And maybe that was because Pete, like a bunch of family flew in, like Darvin said, and they spent New Year's with a lot of their people, right? Stuff like that matters, right? It does. 
but also they're playing better, right? Like they, at the beginning of this road trip, that game in Dallas on Christmas, they looked like, oh, this is not, without Anthony Davis, this is not functional. And that, by the end of the road trip, that was not the case. They've gotten a lot better. They've really kind of figured out who they are in this incarnation of, of themselves. To be fair about the Dallas game, though, that third quarter is what killed mm-hmm. their morale, right? Yeah. And so I had to listen to it on my drive because I was traveling on Christmas Day. And so all I heard was like sort of the the cheers of the Dallas crowd and sort of just like Ireland's voice sort of being like, oh, and th- and there's yeah. another wide open, and there's another wide open three, <laughs> right? It, the resignation, it was, yeah. Yes, it was that vibe, right? But the Lakers were up. They were playing well. They had sort of a good game plan against the Mavs. Now, Dallas countered and there was a lot of stuff. But coming out of that game, I think you're right. There was a lack of spirit around. We're not going to be able to smoke and mirrors our way to wins to get to the point where at the end of the road trip. And I think this is a good place to pivot to LeBron a little bit because he is the engine right now and so to get to the end of the road trip and lebron is basically just like well if i need to score 40 i'm gonna go and get it and you commented on this pete maybe like a week and a half ago like hey man it looks like lebron is rounding in the form like he Mm -hmm. is really finding his game and i think that that's epitomized by just the shot making and the rhythm that he's in offensively right now to close this road trip out against the Hawks and the Hornets, where not the most defensive stout teams, like the Hawks didn't have DeAndre Hunter, for example, and they didn't have all of their wing depth. And the Hornets have some big wings, but they didn't have Oubre. That's another body that they could have thrown at LeBron. But the rhythm he's in right now, it doesn't seem like any of that's really going no. to matter. Like it's his not. shot making is is unreal. He scored 43 points against the Hornets, Pete, and he didn't make a three. He's barely shooting 30%. He may have dropped below. I, I didn't look this morning, but he was at like 30.5% before the game. So he may be even below that 30% threshold for the whole season. And he's still fifth in December, like you said, in scoring, despite his three ball not really falling. Yeah. And, and so he 11, so 0 for 5 from three last night, but his 11th straight game of shooting 50% or better. And like a lot of these aren't even close. Right. Like he's like 60 percent, 62 percent, 58 percent. It's just like and on super high volume, too. So where is he getting these shots? So Darwin mentioned this. He's getting a lot in transition. Right. So he is hunting transition opportunities. And he is. We talk about you mentioned this the other day, but the amount of legs you need to use in order to just run freely in transition versus like, oh, I've got to create with a live dribble and Mm -hmm. navigate two or three defenders, right? And then beat everyone to to the basket and score. So he is hunting transition opportunities. He is leveraging pick and roll opportunities, I think, very well. But he's also just like, just dribbling around and sort of just like, hey, I'm like, (laughs) you ever play tag with like a young kid and they're just sort of like, oh, I'm just going to, run in a circle this way i'm gonna turn and i'm gonna run this other way (laughs) he's doing that with his dribble and then firing off one-legged fading runner looking shots like what are these shots these are horse shots these Mm -hmm. are horse shots that that he's making and so he's getting in the post some too so he's doing it from from everywhere his shot chart is much more kobe bryant than james harden 
Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of just like, oh, like the the plot display is going to be everywhere, all over the court, left, right, mid range, deep, right at the rim. So he's scoring from everywhere. Pete, is is there something specific, though, that stands out to you about how he's getting into his offense or where he's taking his shots from? Because he's doing a lot of this on unassisted makes as well. There, yes, he is. And so to me, it comes to the various fadeaways that he has. One of the things that I was talking about at the beginning of the year was kind of him transitioning more into the mid post triple threat type of touches. And one of my main rationale for that was that the fadeaway in particular is an unblockable shot. And the types of fadeaways that he has is that if he can get to that shot, like nobody's even going to bother it too much. And that's something that's always been the greatest of the great, the Kareem's, the Michael Jordan's, that as they get later into their career, and he is a better athlete at this age than either of them were, but the point still remains, the the endurance of superstardom really lies in unblockable shots. The, I can get this shot, and I'm so good at what I do, and I know how to set things up so much better, like I know the chessboard better than anyone else, and I have the skill to be able to execute it, And but the thing is, is he's getting to these fadeaways not from the triple threat, not from the post, at least not as nearly as often. A lot of it's off the dribble. He's got that, what he calls that parachute shot, that we'll probably do a video for this on the Lakers at some point, but where he dribbles along the baseline, does the whole old Steve Nash thing, right? And comes out the other side and shoots that fading jumper. What are you going to do about that? You can't do anything about that. I call that Tokyo Drift right there, Pete. I'm not sure if you've <laughs> nice. ever seen the Fast and the Furious yeah, movies, yeah, yeah. but I that's the only one I've seen. And so people are going to be like, wait, that's the only movie you've seen? That's like the worst <laughs> one of the entire series. And that's the one that 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 you've seen. But it really he he really does sort of like drift along that sideline. And it looks like he's like like wrapping that corner and just sort yep. of fading, fading, fading. It's a beautiful shot. And so he's not getting to those unblockable shots. Now, the, the hardest thing about those unblockable shots, and these are the Kobe type shots that you're talking about, too, is that they're really difficult to make. They're unblockable yeah. because you're like falling backward and maybe squaring yourself up in midair as he does on that yeah. particular shot. Yeah. You know, like yeah. these are not easy shots, but. A couple pods ago, I made an argument about the longevity of LeBron. And I'm talking from today going forward. How long can he be a superstar, this caliber of player? It took him a little longer this season to get the the machine back up and running. Yes. But and that's this isn't the first time that's happened, although to this degree, that's probably the the most severe. But he's still an amazing player. And these are the these are the pillars, I think, of LeBron's superstardom going forward is his strength and size. So he's 6'8", 250 plus, right? Yeah. And that's always going to be uh, uh, valuable. He's a, <laughs> yes. He's a ball handler and he's a skilled shot maker. Now, that's this is all without his three ball falling. You see, he went 0 for 5 from 3 last night, like you said. He went 16 for 21 on his twos. Yeah. And those are the types of shots that he can get to that it's just a matter of like, does he make it or does he miss? And so that to me is why going forward, so that you've got his strength, his skill, and then his IQ. He understands how, and we talk about this a lot, but when you put those factors together, which one of those are going away over the next few years? I know it's, it's, it takes a little bit of like kind of reimagining what an NBA player can do and how long they can do it for. But if anyone's that guy to push it forward, it's freaking LeBron James. And so 
all of those things that he's built on, like, can he do it at a certain level of intensity without getting hurt between now and the end of the season? Knock on wood, let's hope. But I don't expect like it to be on 11 all the time. But that's the thing, too, is I don't think he's necessarily playing that way. I think he's really finding the spots and attacking those transition opportunities, finding like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to score. So despite the production, I don't think that it's super high. I don't think it's super high impact on his body in ways that breaking everybody down all the time off the dribble would be. Now, if Russ is out for any period of time, that might change. But uh, but yeah, no, that's what I see with LeBron is just he's he's building on the pillars that he that he has. Well, it's super interesting, right? Because earlier during the season, all of these, he wasn't going to the fadeaway as much. But when he did, every time he missed it was short. It was short every yep, single time. That's right. And so one of the things when you were talking that I was thinking a lot about is that he just looks like he has his legs now. Whereas earlier mm-hmm. during the season, it was, I was unsure about how much of this is LeBron sort of like working his way into the season and his legs aren't all the way there yet? How much of it is LeBron in what is a part of his legacy as well, sort of jabbing where he needs to jab and being like, I'm not necessarily feeling all of this right now. Where's the team mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to lead towards our actual goals? Because this isn't necessarily that team. And we talked about that ourselves. Like th- th- that team as constructed, and right now it's the same team, right? Isn't built to win win a championship. And him just sort of like, like, hey man, come on now. Like, like I'm going to play some. And he'd have a four or five minute shift every game where he just turn it on and be like, oh, there's a... There's that guy. And and that's what sort of led me to believe like part of it is like, hey, like I'm not going to exert myself super much because my legs aren't all the way there yet. And and I'm not going to exert myself super hard because like this ain't this ain't it yet. Right. And so but now it's sort of like, look. 30 something games, almost halfway through the season, Pete, like, yeah. It's it's not necessarily go time, but LeBron is also like, well, we can't be eight games under 500 the entire year. Like we've got to do something. And this is the team that needs him most right now. And he and he yeah. said it the other night when he's just like. 40 is what we need. So I'm going to go and get 40 and back to back yeah. games now. Right. And so I think he's sort of reading reading the writing that's on the wall and giving what's needed as well. And so it's, it's a lot of different factors. I think. I I think that this is a team that's shown to be worth fighting for to a degree as well. And that like a lot of the issues of last season, I think are better this year, right? Not all the way, but like it's, there's just a better supporting structure for a star where it's like, yeah, if you have one of these games where you score 40, we're going to play credible defense and we're going to be able to, and we haven't been able to do that every game, right? But you're going to have a couple guys next to you that can put the ball in the hoop, that have some ability, that know where to swing the ball next, that there's just, it's a less aggravating team to watch. Um, And so that's one of the things I've been kind of laughing about 
over the course of this road trip is after the <laughs> Dallas game, we had a pod and I, I will own this. I'm the one who titles uh, most of these. We had a pod titled code red, right? Like red alert. We have lost Anthony Davis. And that was like the one guy we couldn't lose. Yeah. We look like crap. I was watching the Christmas game and I watched that 51 point quarter on the heels of a Phoenix game where we got our butts kicked with a lot of guys out a Sacramento game where we got our butts kicked with a lot of guys out. And then Dallas, was again catatonic in that first half. So like them waking up and then just smoking us by 30 in a quarter, all that together after everything else I'd seen without Anthony Davis for a minute, it was like, and I was so mad. Like I must've said the F word like 27 times in a row when I heard, you know, the, the news about AD. And of course, First, first and foremost, you know, hoping for AD's health on, on the front end, but from selfish reasons, right? Like I was like, damn it, we were right there, we were building something, and now we can't even function. Like, but one of the ways where I think we have is uh, in some of the lineup stuff that we're doing. So let's take a break. When we come back, let's get into that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, D, our, our second game without Lonnie Walker, and I don't want to zero in on Lonnie Walker necessarily. It's just that we're playing one of the things we've been saying. We're playing one too many guards. We were more conventionally sized again last night, and it's interesting playing a team that you just played because you can see how are the ways they beat us in the last game versus this game. Now, Ubre being out certainly plays into that to some degree, but I would argue, like, we were playing these bigger lineups. There was a shift in the first half. Again, Russ only played 11 minutes, was a plus eight in those minutes, but he was like one for eight, had three turnovers. He individually did not play well at all, but we stayed in those minutes in large part because they couldn't score either. And like we have a lineup out there with Russ and Wenyon and JTA. I think Troy Brown was getting some run. I'd love to talk some Troy Brown at some point too. And it's just like all of these guys are good defenders. The group collectively can get rebounds. There were like a bunch of plays where two Lakers were battling for the same rebound. And it's like, ah, isn't that refreshing? (laughs) You know, like rather than have one completely overmatched uh, undersized player trying to box out a guy, it's like, no, two guys are that have good size and athleticism. I don't know, just like that motor size, athleticism, commitment to the boards. That to me, in a lot of ways, is the structure of the 2020 team. And we've, we're have we certainly not that, right? But in terms of just the style, it was much more of that type of watching it. It was much more satisfying and a, this is a, a good meal, like 
have you ever had too many sweets, right? Like it's Halloween or something and you've indulged on the the trick or treat candy. And then you finally like drink a glass of cold water with a good meal that has vegetables and rice and you know what I mean? And and it's just like, ah, this feels good. Like it's like that type of basketball that we've been playing. Even if, if it's not as offensively aesthetically pleasing, there's just a lot more of that in the lineup. And I really think it's a big part of, of us being able to go three and two on this trip. I certainly agree. And I agree with the idea of like, we've been pining for one less guard and one more forward. And Brown, I think, is the pivot point of this. So I so I really yeah. do want to dig into Troy a little bit. He had started to fall out of the rotation because his shot wasn't falling. And then you could tell he started to force it a little bit. So he started to hunt offensive opportunities in places where there was mm-hmm. no hunting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's just like, oh, my three balls not falling. So let me. Let me attack here and go off the dribble and try to score inside where in essence, Brown is a player who has some on ball skills. And you could tell he likes to feel the ball a little bit Mm -hmm. like he'll get a rebound and there's a guard calling for the outlet and he sort of like pushes them up and it's like, go like I got it. Mm -hmm. And so which I'm fine with that, like let a guy touch the ball, let him handle it some, especially if, if it's going to keep to keep him engaged but as a scorer brown is much more of an off-ball worker like he's a very Mm -hmm. good cutter he's had some good chemistry with with russ on on backdoor cuts and a staple of his offensive diet is going to be that spot up jumper off of driving kicks and off of swing swings and off of skip passes from from both lebron and russ when he's weak side corner when like out of pick and rolls and whatnot so if that three ball's not falling like that's going to be a big portion on his plate, right? And so it's just like, hey, well, now that big portion of stuff is gone, survive on this other stuff, and he's not going to. He's just not. And I felt like that was impacting all of the other little parts of his game that they really need him to do defensively, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. on the backboards, and then how attentive is he as an off-ball defensive player? Because on the ball, I think he's been pretty good. But even last night, he got beat by a couple of backdoor yep. cuts. And that's just sort of his weakness in general. It's like he he can overhelp. So he will give up shots to, to spot up shooters. And he will get beat backdoor. It's just one of the things that, that happens to him. But his size and when the shot is falling... It's just like, oh, look at this guy. He's mm-hmm. had some rebounds, Pete, where he is like yeah. well above the rim. And just being like, I got this. I'm rebounding like a forward, even though like we've talked about before, mm-hmm. he likes to defend down some. And his defensive versatility to be able to guard twos, threes, and some fours if they're like a stretch four type. Mm-hmm. He's just a super useful player. And the difference with him in the lineup even with Lonnie out and then with Pat Bev. So you get all of the Pat Bev stuff and we should talk about him a little bit too. Yes. You get all of the Pat Bev stuff defensively, all of the hard nosed, everything that he's doing. And then his three ball is starting to fall. And then you get to size up some with a player who is more defensively inclined than Lonnie and especially Lonnie lately. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you start to see some of the offensive usage stuff tick up for Dennis, which I know he 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 probably mm-hmm. enjoys. 
having a little bit more offense and then TB stepping up the way that, that he has, you just have a way more balanced lineup. And I think that a lot of it does hinge on the fact that like Troy Brown is actually a small forward yes. sized guy, right? That is what he does. Yes. And so that ability to get boards, that size on the perimeter in the Boston game, you'd pointed out that he did a really nice job on Tatum for for stretches. And he has a level of persistence defensively that combines with his length and size that I also think fits in really well next to Dennis and Pat Bev. And so that was one of the things last night. Defensively, he was making that one extra rotation. That's one thing about Brown is he's, he's smart. Is And so he and he understands kind of what to happen next. He can ball watch, which is why he'll get back cut. But one of the things he's ball watching for is that where is my rotation going next? And so he'll get steals or deflections or just like be in the mix for a rebound because he anticipated it a split second quickly or quicker. And will that has been a huge help. I also think one of my skepticisms on him is I've seen his offense really impact how yes. well and how much he does that. So in those games where he's not hitting a bunch of threes, which he's done lately, he's been hot from three. Are you still like making that extra rotation? Are you still doing that to that same degree? And that can be difficult for a player. This isn't something that's unique to him, but just that like, yes, he is a small forward. He's six, six. He is a guy that can help on the glass. And now you have a point guard playing point guard, a shooting guard playing shooting guard. Uh, Cause this also locks Bev into proper uh, spot. And Dennis, as you were saying as well, in terms of being the third guy, right? The second perimeter ball handler that can score. You don't need five guys that can do that necessarily, or even even four, really. You, you want three guys that can score and two guys that can defend and kind of do the connecting things around that. And so with respect to Lonnie, I'm curious your thoughts. When Lonnie comes back, what does that look like? Because if all of that is true, like I would like going forward this starting lineup that we had yesterday, the Schroeder, Pat Bev, Brown, uh, TB, and LeBron, I'd like that to be the starting lineup going forward. And I'd be very curious, what does Lonnie look like off the bench in a unit with Russ and Wenyon and all them guys that are flying up and down the court? I think that that's possibly beneficial for them, too, because if you watch that group, uh, the last few games in particular, like those are the groups that can have issues scoring in the half court in ways that that's exactly where we do need Lonnie there. We don't have an excess of guys in that group that can score in that way. And so. That's part of the been the fun for me of this season, D, is figuring out who is the best fit where and why and all of that. And we're yeah. so much further down that path than we were at the beginning of the season. But I think the Lonnie Brown question is one of the more prominent ones uh, that we have left. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily Lonnie versus Troy, right? It's like one guard. It's like one guard for one forward. Yeah. Right. And so, but Lonnie's skill set is the most duplicative when you take into account what Dennis is good at, mm-hmm. how how LeBron is scoring. Because Le- we talked about this last pod, but LeBron has been much more of a perimeter player mm-hmm. than he was to start the season. And the fact that that TB has been a guy who is pretty much a reliable double-digit scorer. Like in the last 10 games or so, he had a couple of eight point games. Like the first Charlotte game, for example, was a low scoring game. I think he had eight points. And then um, 
either the game before that or the game after it, he also had eight points. But every other game, it's just like, oh, 14 points, 15 points, 17 points, 18 points. So he is reliably being a guy who is contributing double figures. I think Dennis is best when he is a double-digit scoring player, right? Mm. And so how many more baskets do you have in the starting lineup where this is what you do, right? And you've talked about it a fair amount with with Lonnie. That's what he does. That's where his contributions come. Mm -hmm. And so where I start to get skeptical, not just about Lonnie, but just in general, and this goes back to the roster build stuff, is you're still playing all of those guards, Mm-hmm. You shift your you shift some of the size deficit questions from the starting unit to the bench. And then you're going to have lineups with Russ, Lonnie and Austin. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of Russ, Austin and Troy, for example. And so how do you feel about shifting that burden to the bench rather than with the starting group? Because it still is a roster imbalance issue as much as it is like trying to find the proper sure. groupings that are going to play successfully together. While he doesn't have the height and length, ideally, I do think that Russ is basically a three on defense because he is of all of our guards that again, this is a that that problem that you just laid out is an inescapable one on the roster. And so from a coach's perspective, it's a matter of, okay, how do I make the best of it? And so a guy, to me, the the time to play those three guards is off of the bench because for one, most teams play smaller off of the bench than they do amongst their starting group. And secondly, Russ is a guy that does provide physicality. He does help you on the boards. He does rebound like a small forward, right? He he does provide a certain level of strength and physicality that you miss when you go to three guard type of lineups. And so is it my ideal in a perfect world? No. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, we need a forward. We still need a roster, uh, a, a move, right? In order to be the best team that we can be to balance off the ros- out the roster. I just think that the time to put that weakness out there, if it's inevitable that you have to play small or three guards at some point, I think those bench units in the part of the game where other teams are also playing smaller and the game's a little more wide open, I think that's the time to do it more than ever. And we have been doing that throughout the year. It's just been more these last couple of games. You've taken one guard completely out of the equation, a guy who's getting yeah. mid mid to high 20s in minutes. And so that kind of slots everything more naturally into place. But Lonnie's going to come back. And I'm very curious about where he fits in uh, into the rotation from there. Yeah. And so where do you think Austin plays into this? So Troy Brown started the last game, but he started for Austin. Because mm-hmm. Austin started the previous game yeah. in favor of Wolwyn Lonnie sat. And so what did you think about that swap? And do you, because we've sort of pined for Austin to start mm-hmm. a, a fair amount, right? And, but it's seeming like, oh, well, he actually may be considering the groups and everything else. Like, well, he should come off the bench if Pat Bev is going mm-hmm. to start. And it's like, how do you see that dynamic playing out? And where do you think Austin fits within all of this? So I kind of see Austin and Bev as playing the same position. And I would like that to be kind of the the one or the two defensively. If we've got Dennis, then it's, you know, he's the one defensively. But that to me is like if 
like Austin would be Bev's backup. And so I, I'm less on the, you know, we should start Austin. I think we should close with Austin a, a decent amount of time. We did not last night, uh, despite him having a, a bounce back game. But that's kind of how I see those two playing out is there are like the, what they both provide Bev and Austin is kind of a constant motor defensively and a spot up shooting option. And so like they're the most similar in that respect. And so I'm curious to see how guys like Russ and and Lonnie fit around that, but I'm less on that. Hey, we need Austin to start for me, man. It's just about like finding groups of five that fit and your starting group and your closing group are the most important because they're they're the ones that play the most minutes. So it's less about like Austin needs to start or anything like that than finding a a group that fits. And I think the one that started this past group, this past game is the one that's closest to that. But, but we'll see Where, where are you at on that with Austin? Well, I will say this, and I think this is a good time to have the Pat Bev discussion, too, is if you would have asked me like a month ago or five weeks ago, I would have been like, well, Pat Bev should barely be played at all. And yeah. even last game, I said, or last pod, I said that some of uh, JTA's minutes might need to come at the expense of Patrick Beverly. That said, if Beverly is not playing the wing anymore and he's playing more guard, then I don't yes. think JTA's minutes need to come at the expense of Beverly yes. because Beverly's playing in a more natural position and he's not – you know, masquerading is uh, the word I used as as a wing or as a mm-hmm. forward. But Bev has been making his outside shots and he is showing an ability to like screen and play in the short role a little bit. He has shown just enough off the bounce shot creation with like his little floaters and his little pivots and and, and little jump hooks and making two small symbols when he's literally the smallest dude on the court. <laughs> um, Pat that man. He is quite the character. So if he's hitting shots, then he's contributing offensively in ways that are super important to this team within the context of what the starting lineup needs, because you mentioned it earlier, the need for connecting players within the starting Mm. group and what is your usage and what is your job? And Troy Brown's job is to hit spot up jumpers and cut off of the ball. Right. And maybe set some screens, but mostly be a weak side player. Mm -hmm. Right. Patrick Beverly's job is to hit spot up jumpers and to set on ball screens, inverted screens with with LeBron in order to force switches or get into the short roll where he can play in the middle of the floor and then make the smart pass out of that read because he does have some guard skills. Right. And that pass is is a pass that's that that's in his wheelhouse. Well, when he was shooting 20 something percent from three, so much of his offensive utility falls off. And on top of that, he was then passing up shots that need to be taken Mm. within the context of the offense for the Mm. offense to function correctly, right? It's like on some levels, it doesn't matter if that shot goes in or not. You need to take it because everyone is positioned on the court for that shot to be taken. You have to completely reset everything. Yeah, if you don't take that shot and you only got 24 seconds, like if you can get one of those, it's very hard to get a second one in a possession. And so now he is taking those shots and he's making them more often. And he is taking shots that are like, oh, look at Pat Bev, little like uh, he's feeling himself a little bit. And those shots are falling too more often. And that lifts the floor of the offense. It, like we'll talk about the offense, I think, in, in a pot or two. I, I definitely want Mike in that conversation. But the Lakers offense is stabilized as one of the better offenses in the league. Isn't very quietly. <laughs> it really is. 
And that only happens when every player on the court is contributing in the way that they need to contribute offensively, right? Which is not something that we could have said before. And so in getting back to Austin versus Bev, Austin's going to be able to do a bunch of stuff offensively, regardless of what lineup that he plays in. Bev needs to do his specific thing. And his specific thing is going to come best playing Mm -hmm. next to LeBron, right? Austin can play next to LeBron, and just as easily you could slot him next to Russ in Mm -hmm. non-LeBron lineups, and he's going to function just fine. If you stick Bev with just Russ and and no one else, it's just like, okay, well, it's not – that chemistry or that symmetry isn't quite going to be there the same way, right? And, and, And so I'm fine with Bev retaining this starting spot if he's going to be slotted into a guard spot correctly and if the shot continues to fall but those things are happening and they've been happening for a little while now so it does get back to the Lonnie discussion and should he start and should he come off the bench and I don't think anyone should be grandfathered into a starting spot even Mm -hmm. 40 games into the season just because you've done it for 20 something games right it's it's like there should still be there's still room to learn what groupings work best and we talked about this Mm -hmm. before right with with ad out i do think there needs to be a certain reimagining of what is Mm -hmm. and is not possible and what does and does not work and because tb he's been great but he's not the same player as anthony davis and you do need to support tb in different ways than you needed Mm -hmm. to support ad because ad needed barely any support at all particularly defensively but i think a guy like brown helps tb more than a guy like lonnie walker does Mm -hmm. defensively if pat bev is going to be one of those guys who you want next to lebron does that sort of Yes, yes. It's how the whole fits together, right? And how everybody fits within the whole is what's important. And that's been a big part of the first half of this season is figuring out who fits with who. Who's it's it's something that I don't think people understand the degree to which that important that's important and that changes things. Like if we were still playing Damian Jones and Kendrick Nunn in the rotation right now, we'd have several fewer wins, and people be like, "Oh, Lakers just stink." Like. That's all there is to it, you know? And it's like, no, you have to fight through it and you got to find the combinations that fit and the players that uh, that play together well. Now, with respect to Bev, the thing about his jumper is that it makes up a larger piece of the pie of whether or not he's an effective offensive player than the vast majority of players. So a guy like Austin can have a good game without shooting the ball particularly well. Now, he's a much better player when he's making his threes, as is everyone, but he can contribute offensively in ways that he's still helpful. Uh, You know, LeBron obviously being the maximum example of of this where he's going 0 for 5 from 3, but just dominating on the inside. With Bev, he doesn't really do much else offensively, with the one exception of he understands the theory of basketball better than like 95% of players. Like if basketball were a card game or a speed chess game, right? Because there's the element Mm -hmm. of speed that doesn't exist in, in a card game. He can play the theoretical game. Okay, this is supposed to happen next. You do this now. That guy does this. 
this is something that LeBron does, but also Draymond. Uh, to me, Bill Russell is the like the grandfather, the basketball god of this, that ability to understand the theoreticals of basketball and be able to apply it. And so what Bev does is he knows where's the ball, where the ball's supposed to go next and what's supposed to happen next in the sequence. And so even if he's not accumulating a stat, so long as, as he's hitting his three ball at a decent rate. It doesn't have to be at this 50% rate he's been at lately. But so long as he's a solid spot up shooter, he'll get closeouts. He's going to be able to keep the wheel going to the point where it's like that position might not end in a three by him, but it does end in a wide open corner three by Troy Brown. And so those are the types of things that if he's hitting his jumper, then he'll be able to facilitate that more and more. And so I really like to see him more in a, a guard spot in that two guard spot than the three spot that he's been playing most of the season. But we're coming around, man. We, you know, moved to 500 without AD, five and five without him now, three and two on this road trip. We are uh, two games back of the play in. We've, you know, held on in the, the broader picture of things. And so just a, a lot to talk about. We'll be back uh, tomorrow talk uh talk some more of what's going on around this team a tougher five game stretch coming up but uh one i'm very intrigued to see how the lakers do so yeah we'll be back tomorrow to talk all about all that but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's yeah, they will Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.